Hey everyone, just wanted to thank you for listening to Definitely Doomed, the episode by episode Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. Also wanted to remind you that each episode of the podcast is a breakdown of each episode of the show, and therefore we have no concern for spoilers and the like. Please enjoy. We are not your friends. We are not your way to Buffy. There is no way to Buffy. Another episode of Definitely Doomed, the episode by episode breakdown of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in podcast form that I, Ruben, and your and my friend Basil, joining me on the other line, provide for yep. you. Yep. <laughs> Hi, Basil. I sure am. All your friends. I'm a friendly guy. Every time we get a new listener, you get a new friend yep. based on my intro. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they get one too. Mm hmm. Most of the time, I'm glad that we do a podcast as opposed to a vidcast, but the little look you gave there before you took a sip, <laughs> being like, yeah, they get to be friends with me as well. It's sad yeah. we didn't capture that for all, for all time. <laughs> Had a beautiful trace of smudginess. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm best at. So, um, it's my turn to do the plot, which I guess I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Episode picks up. With um, Buffy still thrown by Spike's uh, amorous feelings for her, and uh, lucky for her emotional growth, uh, this episode's <laughs> A plot is going to involve uh, a sort of woman, a robot woman, uh, arriving to Sunnydale, who is extremely obsessed with having a boyfriend. Right. Um, so Buffy's going to get to work through. Uh, some of her issues and look at, you know, a very extreme version of what she could look like if she tried to center her entire life around satisfying a romantic partner. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, basically that's it. Joyce is, you know, doing better, so she's going on dates and stuff now, and her kids are making fun of her, and um, the Glory storyline is mostly sidelined. For this episode, she appears in one or two scenes, but mostly because um, throughout this episode plays the idea of Ben potentially being uh, Buffy's new romantic paramour, before she has some uh, epiphanies as to her relationship to being romantic right now, and decides to uh, let him down easy. And she fights a robot, and we get introduced to Warren Mears, who, of course, is going to come back in season six. Back in a big way. Anything major that I missed? There's a party. (laughs) No. uh, Glory's mad that Ben is trying to date the Slayer, but more mad that she turned them down. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Uh, What do you think of this episode? I like this episode. Yeah, I like it a lot. It's uh, Jane Espenson really hitting her stride. It's super funny and also uh, pretty upsetting and dark. So <laughs> it's uh, managing the two tones pretty 
excellently, and um, the woman they got to play the robot is very unnerving. <laughs> Pretty funny. Um, well, I guess I'll read this now, even though I normally read the trivia and stuff at the end. But apparently Joss Whedon originally wanted Britney Spears to play the role of the robot because he found her performances to be very robotic. But she oh. said she didn't want to play a sex bot, even though she wanted to have a role in the show. She wanted to have, like, fun, good times with the Scooby gang. Right. <laughs> um, That's power. <laughs> I, I also like this episode a lot. And uh, I'm going to give it a B plus, but I think I would maybe even be tempted to give it an A minus if it weren't for the very, very last scene. I don't, I don't know if that's necessary. It seems against what, obviously, next week's episode that we're going to discuss is going for. And that scene is included again in that episode. So right. um, it... It feels very TV-ish and like, mm -hmm. you know, get people very, not energized, but something anticipatory yeah. of next week's episode. And yet, one of the things that's going to make next week's episode so good is how not TV-ish it is in many right. aspects. Sorry, spoiler alerts for my feelings on that episode. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it is very funny. And one of the things that I noticed... Uh, this time, or I guess I noticed about myself, is how much Warren's misogyny was built in in this very first introduction. So yeah, I let's that too. <laughs> start there. Um, yeah. And we can start with the very obvious part when Buffy shows up at his door and instead of either A, trying to explain to Katrina what's going on, or even coming up with like a nice lie, being like, this is an ex-girlfriend, she reacted very badly to our breakup, and I just don't want to see her. Um, mm -hmm. And Buffy is a friend of mine, and she's going to help me out with that. Um, and I think it would be best if she didn't see you or something like that. Instead, he goes, shut up, go to the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he's like... When she's like, what's going on? Which is a very understandable reaction when he's just like hacking and being like, okay, it's time for us to leave. And she's like, aren't you going to tell your mom? And he's like, I could call her on the way. And it's like, she's not like, what the hell is going on? He's just like, put your stuff or don't get your stuff. We'll get you new stuff. Like, we're going. It's uh, very intense. And uh, I think, yeah, it's interesting. Like, obviously as a teenager, like I was pretty dumb, but like, you know, his hairiness seemed like, and obviously, like, upsetness, like, masked over the fact that he's, like, being a huge dick or whatever, and I didn't quite, uh, pick up on it, I think, the first couple times I saw this episode. Um, there are also things about how April is programmed, of course. April being the robot, um, that show us how misogynistic Warren is. Some of them right. are kind of obvious, and Buffy even herself calls them out. Like when he says that if she doesn't respond to his voice, she'll get a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But some of them are a little less obvious in the types of things that I didn't pick up on. I think you already mentioned pre-podcast when um, Buffy is sitting there on the swing and trying to empathize with a robot. Um, 
she says, you know, sometimes when I cry, I feel better. And she says, crying is blackmail. Good girlfriends don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, uh, pretty dark. Like, yeah. And I think even, you know, some of the other, even, uh, like, yeah, like, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's another maybe obvious one, but, you know, that, uh, his first reaction when Katrina finds out that she's a robot is him to be like, it's not just for sex. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's gonna, one, like, that would smooth anything over at all, and... Um... Yeah, it's, I guess another thing that's kind of interesting is how close Warren is to getting the lesson, mm -hmm. but somehow totally misses it. So, like, he's describing to Buffy what happened. He's like, I was lonely. I built this robot so I wouldn't be lonely. And then uh, I didn't really love her. I thought that I would. And then I met Katrina, and I did really love her. And the lesson of that is... You can, love is about recognizing someone's humanity. It's not that right. Katrina is funny or smart and that April isn't those things because he could program her to make her smarter or funnier. Uh, it's that on some essential level, he saw Katrina as a human and therefore created a connection with her. But instead of seeing that and therefore being like, oh, if I treated more women like humans, I would probably have more interesting connections. Instead, he just sort of makes it as a way of like, oh, she's better at recognizing what's cool about me. And I, I like that it was like a game. Like he even says that. He's like, it was like work. Like, I like that. It was too easy with mm -hmm. April. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, that was another one of the um, moments that I sort of like picked up on that. Uh, never fully cohered in my head until this time, but that um, he's like he's still working within the superficial qualities. Like he programmed April with the superficial qualities that he thought he liked mm -hmm. uh, in a person, and then it realized he just liked other qualities, or that's what he <laughs> thinks he does. So then he's like, "Oh, I just built this robot wrong. If I'd done it right the first time, I never even would have needed to meet." Katrina or whatever, but instead of recognizing that it is the uh, the interaction with an actual person that's generating his interest, and too bad, could have saved some lives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Figured it out. Yeah, we could have saved not just fictional lives, but many, many real life lives if more people would watch stuff like this and understand what's going on here. Yeah. Um, uh. So, yeah, and then I guess talking about April, um, I mean, the robot, the main thing that I want to talk about, I guess, is really more about Buffy, which is that swing set scene that I was mentioning when, with the kind of shades of 2001 A Space Odyssey, um, yeah, she's shutting down. Yeah, you can't. Apparently, you can't escape that when it comes to robots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Got to get that two thousand one in there. But um, it's 
I, f I don't know exactly why I find it believable that Buffy is so empathetic in this moment. I know that there's some sort of transference as to, like, she's seen herself in mm. April. But it's, it is a reminder that Buffy can be that person that she wasn't being for Riley or whatever. Right. That, like, she has these qualities. And that, like, Xander is going to say about her that, She's a really great person to be around when she's being sort of, I don't know, Buffy. <laughs> right. Um, she's letting people in. Like, I don't know about you, but I found that scene surprisingly moving, even though in some ways she's responding to, you know, one of those therapist bots that just says what you said back to you. <laughs> right. No, I like it a lot, too. I think that... Uh... Uh, Sarah Michelle Geller really uh, pulls the scene together, and that it's um, you know, I mean, I guess yeah, like basically what you said—the kind of uh, transference is definitely playing a part in seeing something that's like ah, uh, like that wouldn't have necessarily been me exactly, but it was kind of me a second ago. <laughs> Especially like tying it into with like the the scenes with earlier on her talking to Xander about how to get boys and her weird awkward flirting with Ben where she's not just like being herself but being like what would this guy want to want me to do <laughs> yeah and so uh, and kind of mirroring and I just put this connection together in my head right now as you were talking, but that that is in her own way, because she also, at certain points, uh, sees a bit of herself in Warren as well. Like, he's the creepy version of her, but that he understands and appreciates her lo his loneliness on a certain level, and that in that moment she's doing a less creepy version of how Warren sees the world. She's trying to game Ben into being, you know, in, in love with her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, and it's funny and, and playful as opposed to creepy and misogynistic, but they actually still come from a similar inhuman place of being like, how can I position this person to like me? Right. <laughs> and, uh, but I, and I think that that's an interesting sort of... Uh, dichotomy and like um cool place for the show to be because i think that like especially like as early in television relatively speaking as this is like i think you know well into the 2000s and even now uh there are plenty of sitcoms that treat dating as like a performative thing where you aren't being yourself you're being uh like like, supposed reflection of what you think this person wants you to be. Yeah, and that, um, yeah, two things. One is that, like, the process of dating is a process of slowly revealing, like, who you are after you've entrapped them. Right. <laughs> um, as opposed to a similar, in terms of, like, maybe how it plays out, but completely different in terms of... Uh, ethical and emotional standards like you know being who you are at all times but not necessarily i mean but having distinct boundaries and having those right. boundaries change 
as you become closer to someone. <laughs> yeah. It's uh. <laughs> a very different, like, it, you know, it sounds similar on paper, perhaps, but in action is very, very different. Yeah. And in attitude as you approach it. Um, what was the second thing that I was going to say about that? I can't remember. Uh, <laughs> if it comes to you. Uh, I mean, we're kind of past it, but I did want to say we were talking about different uh, um, <laughs> examples of Warren's misogyny. The way that he talks to Buffy when he's trying to reveal that it's a robot is... <laughs> also similar and yeah. the funny like kind of hero shot where it like dollies in on his face <laughs> and then she's just like uh-huh when he's like she's a robot <laughs> yeah and um you even get a nice parallel of that scene earlier where Buffy thinks she's going to like tell the group like this special information and the entire group also knows that it's a robot and Buffy just accepts that. She's like, oh yeah, they're smart people. It makes sense that they would put these things together just like I did. Right. And she's like, yeah, I was going to say robot too. <laughs> yeah. And that's the difference between like looking at a person and seeing them and uh, as a human and being able to like trust in their ability to do something as opposed to feeling like, yeah, yeah, you're a level above them. Right. Um, this is also about Warren, but really it's more about the early 2000s. He grabs a stack of CDs and puts it in his duffel bag. Nice. <laughs> the most important stuff. Classic CDs. I guess um, if you're going to be driving for a long time in the early 2000s, running away from a bad robot. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta have those tunes. mixes, yeah. <laughs> tunes. Um... And of course, this, not the CDs, but uh, the misogyny and the seeing a person uh, as a person transitions nicely into the, the spike of the episode, mm -hmm. of course. And um, I think this episode, as a capsule in and of itself, pretty much lands where I think they should be landing right. with Spike. You know, if I have issues with what's going on with Spike, it isn't contained this episode it's where he's going to go eventually or where he was mm -hmm. before but um it's an interesting note about um me as a person that when i was watching this when i was younger and i watched it with a friend he sort of talked about how sad that moment was where giles was a jerk <laughs> To Spike, uh -huh. and uh, now, of course, I don't, like, even then I was like, you know, Giles has a point, but they should respect the fact that Spike is sad about this, too, and be nicer right. to him, and now I'm like, no, they don't need to be nice to Spike about this, he's done nothing to earn their kindness or respect. Yeah. <laughs> he very recently kidnapped Buffy, so I think that's... <laughs> About as far over the line as you can get in a his, situation. His planned defensiveness is very funny in a sad yeah. way. When he's yeah. like, misunderstandings, slurs. <laughs> I really like that part. Misrepresentation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Allegations. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't Clearly. say what any of those things are. He just says no. that they exist. <laughs> yeah. 
It's a very fake news come. <laughs> I like how they've all turned on him and like mm-hmm. not in any sort of subtle way. Like he doesn't necessarily have any like relationship with Anya or anything, but she's like, let's throw him out the front door and set him on fire. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Like, on the one hand, I feel bad because he's defenseless, but on the other hand, I don't feel bad. He's a mass murderer. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, sociopath. Uh. I, I like, uh, Joyce. Uh. And the repartee between the two of them. Especially after the date when she's like, I left my bra in my car. <laughs> In this car. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, not only is it funny, but it's, uh, it's a little bit of, I think, a subconscious attempt by Joyce in that moment, knowing what's happened and with her health previously and mm-hmm. knowing that the relationship dynamics between her and Buffy have shifted permanently that Buffy mm-hmm. took care of her for months and that Buffy's 20 years old and that it's now in essence time for her and Buffy to start seeing each other as equal adults mm-hmm. and that means flaws and sex lives and all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. that adult relationships contain yeah and I like the um the way that they play it where uh, Buffy like makes innuendos initially and that uh, then Joyce plays along and takes it a step further and then that's the part where Buffy's like, uh-oh, <laughs> this has gone too far now. Like, yeah, I know that, um, not with that specific instance, but that joke type situation happening to me a lot. A very common one that I had to get out of the habit of making uh, when I was in high school and coll- early college, was I would make jokes about how I was very undateable, and then people would laugh really hard, and I'd be like, oh, they laughed too hard. <laughs> 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 I really am undateable. <laughs> it's like Chris D'Elia, Ron Funches. Um, yeah, I mean, it's... It's, of course, setting up the next episode in a lot of ways, but it doesn't feel as writerly as other things that do that because it also just serves as a nice reminder of, you know, what we'll be missing. Mm-hmm. Like, Joyce is great. <laughs> she's yeah. funny. She's smart. She's empathetic. Um, she's raised... Two great girls, one of them only for eight months, but <laughs> maybe the monks took a lot of uh, her history in terms of shaping mm-hmm. who Don is. <laughs> Sounds about right. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, I do agree with you about the, the end of the episode. But it does feel like exactly like what you're saying, like, especially where we're at in the season, I'm sure that we're, like, heading towards some kind of dramatic sweeps week, you know, time to bring in the ratings to make sure you get renewed, et cetera, et cetera. So, ending on a dramatic cliffhanger 
I'm sure but it was they more didn't of a get studio renewed. Note. What? <laughs> they didn't get renewed. Yep. That's <laughs> so, true. It didn't work. It's a mistake. <laughs> yep. Should have let art take the lead as opposed to ratings. Yep. Yeah. Suck it, WB. <laughs> um, you wanted to talk about uh, Willow's reaction to the robot. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it's a strange turn, mm-hmm. and I'm not a hundred percent sure that I like. I don't know. I, I I don't know exactly what to make of it because it. I mean. Like, yeah, I'm just not uh, not exactly sure. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I like like I want to talk about it because I'm like I just like I'm like where exactly like what I don't know you know like it, in in the like because it doesn't exactly feel performative like. Oh, like you know, now that I'm out, I should maybe be doing this, like <laughs> what you know, because like she wasn't yeah. exactly like a person who was known for like making ogling comments, even before she yes. was like, uh, <laughs> like you know, so you know, like similarly, I don't know, like to go back to uh, what's his name the football guy who's like super gross and then it turns out it's like a performative grossness to mm-hmm. because he's insecure about whatever like you know well i guess it's like discovering a little bit of new like confidence in herself and you know really uh blossoming in college as so many people do <laughs> but uh that that it still feels like slightly out of place, like more for the sake of a joke than for like a fully believable thing. That I have a theory. Somebody... What's that? So the theory starts, uh, as many theories do, with bi erasure. So first of all, I think that Willow is bi, no matter how the character is actually written, but that uh-huh. in the late 90s and early 2000s, that... Uh, People who existed, who were fans, who were writing on message boards, who were vocal, who wanted representation, were not bi or didn't believe that bi people existed. And I think that there was a very strong, intense fight push to make Willow just a lesbian mm-hmm. and not someone who is attracted to men and women, someone who was in the closet and then came out and was gay. And she's going to have or she's already had one line in this season in Triangle about that. Um, mm-hmm. And she's going to have more lines where she reiterates that she's gay and that she likes women. But that's not mm-hmm. what she said to Oz when they broke right. up, or really even to Tara. She was like, yeah. it turns out that you know my attraction is based on the person and not on their physical appearance, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, yeah. And I think that every time something like this happens in these later seasons, they were trying to satiate a fairly large 
because this has a very a very large comparatively to other shows like queer following mm-hmm. um part of their group and you know not satiate right. another part <laughs> which yeah. is sad and frustrating so that whenever something like this comes up i don't have any like hard evidence to prove that this is true or mm-hmm. anything but it is how I feel about her character because it seems like things changed so much between season four when she was figuring things out and then season five, six, and seven, she's like, I'm a lesbian, I'm gay. And it's like, this is kind of strange. I mean, it makes a little bit of sense. Like sometimes when you find out an important part of who you are in college, you become like really over the top about it. Mm-hmm. And then calm down into yourself, who you would actually be, less influenced by society. But right. yeah, I think that's a solid theory. Because, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't have any other like, like actual character explanation for it. Because even you know, like, baking into like, whatever, uh, like what she said before that it, when, uh. When the character was allowed, I guess, to be attracted to men, she wasn't like a, ooh, look at that hottie, like, type of, you know, that was all um, Charisma Carpenter and stuff. That was her character, not not Willow. Yeah. It was Xander and then it was Oz, and in both cases, she liked them as a person before she liked them as a romantic partner. Mm Mm-hmm. But, and then same with Tara. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, you wanted to talk about, uh, since we're talking about objectifying comics, uh, Xander's. <laughs> yeah, um, so there's a weird shift in this episode that I don't like, which is that they play off the way that Xander is looking at April as a pat on the back for Anya for not being jealous about it. And right. I agree that she shouldn't be jealous. So you can be attracted to other people and still want to be with the person that you are. And of course, as I'll say all the time, polyamory exists. You can. Right. <laughs> or non-monogamy, even if you don't want to have multiple serious partners. You can have one serious partner and just be allowed to fool around on occasion. Mm. <laughs> um, those things, of course, exist. But... It's a little bit strange that an episode that seems to so deeply understand how Warren's misogyny is going to turn him into a psychopath, that it lets Sanders misogyny slide as a joke. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't like that either. And and it didn't really, you know... uh, I mean, especially in that case, like, it doesn't really add anything that you didn't already get with, like, you know, when Xander's dancing with Buffy and Anya's like, I let him do that, like, patting herself on the back. Like, (laughs) that really is just enough to seal that moment. You don't need anything else with him. Uh, Like, and it is so strange, because I'm like, is it just that, uh, like, I mean, maybe it's because she's a robot, but, like, you know, the woman that they cast to play her, she's very attractive, but, like, she's not, like, so, like a person where it's, like, suddenly every head in the room's like, what? Like, like, 
<laughs> like, she just looks like a, you know, very attractive person. Like, it's like, you know. Yeah. I mean, of course, it's always strange in the world of television because it's so hard. To she, differentiate. Yeah. <laughs> She's not more attractive than Emma Caulfield or Alison Hannigan or Sarah Michelle Gellar or Amber Vincent or even, yeah. hell, even Christine Sutherland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're or all... the... The, the hundreds of extras that are also at that party. <laughs> yeah, they're all professional actors. They're meeting at least like a certain. So yeah, like I I don't. Even if she looks like Grace Kelly, the difference between, you know, mm-hmm. Grace Kelly and Sarah Michelle Gellar isn't going to be so significant as the difference between Grace Kelly and me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, we do get, I, I wonder, again, this one is an even less, like, developed theory, but if they were like, you know, Amber Benson's a good actress and we're not giving her a lot of work, we want to have some insert close-up shots of Amber Benson making faces about things people say, so we're just going to have Willow and Xander say some stupid things so that right. she can, like, raise her eyebrow or furrow her brow and be like, mm, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess, I don't know, she is a good actress. <laughs> It's true. But, yeah. Yeah, I really don't like the scene where they're all at the magic shop and he's, like, getting really lascivious and gross about the idea of Mm -hmm. having a sex bot. And then all the women are staring at him and I'm like, okay, I like this. Like, I like the the fact that they're making him uncomfortable. And he's like, guys understand this. If Oz were here, he would understand. And I was like, no, he wouldn't. Oz doesn't (laughs) feel that way about women. (laughs) As, uh, you know, like, was always happily single when he didn't know someone that he wanted to be with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah, he... Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously you can... Like, it's pretty obvious that the writers don't agree, I would think, that, <laughs> that Oz would be like... Yeah, but I... But it is still a strange moment in that it's like... like what are we gaining like I mean you know I guess it's like a reminder of uh who Xander started out as but like you could have framed it that way like you know like oh yeah I sort of get like when I was in high school I kind of could have seen where that was or whatever you know at least then that's like uh another sort of example as like the kind of very beginning of this episode shows like how much Xander has grown compared to where he started out at the beginning of the show in terms of stuff like that. So yeah, definitely. Like, like I think, I mean, <laughs> I'll just uh, throw Michelle Whedon under the bus here and say that I feel like it's a type of thing that he would have wanted to write into the show. Be like, Xander is like me and I assume all guys are like me, and all guys want sex bots. I want a sex bot. <laughs> right. I've been around enough women to understand that it's wrong, technically. But I still want one. <laughs> yep. Still sounds nice. <laughs> and so then, the other 80% of the episode, written by Jane Esmondson yeah. and the other writers and women, contributed, and they're like, this is what a decent guy would actually look like. And Jasmine's like, gotta throw one of those lines in there. Mind people. That's a funny joke. Xander is me. <laughs> it's like, no, Xander is a better you. Yep. <laughs> Xander is you. It was less performative. 
and mm -hmm. more real. If you know. Yeah. <coughs> Suck it, Whedon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though we're continuing to do a whole podcast about your show. Yeah. He's partially responsible for why it's good. There are a lot of other people responsible for why it's good. Yeah. Uh, another spoiler for the next episode. <laughs> some pretty strong choices. <laughs> um, do you have anything else that you want to say about this episode? No, I think we covered all of it. Treading into longer <laughs> oh. than the app territory again. Nice. Yeah. Probably going to happen again. Um, mm -hmm. We mentioned briefly, but again, I, I feel like it's not like a topic that I have a lot to like pull out of, but it's strange that Giles and Xander are providing such helpful advice as to, like, especially in that opening scene, Giles and Xander are like, no, Buffy, like, you're not responsible for how other people feel, especially someone like Spike. You did mm -hmm. nothing wrong. You, <laughs> the problem is with him. And, like you said, pre-podcast, Joyce and Willow almost sort of gave the opposite advice. And I feel like that is not my experience in the world, <laughs> in general, along gender lines. <laughs> that men yeah, are, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say the only, like, generous explanation I could give for it is the idea that, like, uh women can, like, really internalize these kinds of expectations and then, yeah, like, think that they're giving. But I don't But I don't. I mean, know that's what that Buffy's believe... trying to do this episode before she mm -hmm. decides not to. Yeah. And, but I don't, like, I could sort of buy that Willow would think that, yes. but I don't think that I could buy that. Uh, <laughs> Joyce would still be yeah. operating with that assumption. Like, that scene to me in the last episode would play totally differently if it were um, Dawn and Willow, and, like, mm -hmm. Dawn started talking from a 14-year-old perspective, like, how to get boys to like you, and then Willow sort of picked up on it. Right. That That is much more plausible. <laughs> um, and, yeah, like, I don't want to discredit... Xander and Giles, because I do think that those are two empathetic people, and obviously, just in general, like, they would probably have Buffy's back sometimes even when she's wrong about right. things. <laughs> and they'd be like, yeah, you were right to stab that guy. It's a good decision. I'm by you stabbing yeah. him. <laughs> but, um... Things like this are gonna happen sometimes when you're the Slayer. <laughs> it's a weird gender dynamic, uh... Mm -hmm. Because of, yeah, inclusion and crush and then inclusion in this, you know. And, like, it would be a little more balanced if you got, like, a little bit of Tara in there. Like, she gets, like, one kind of line where she's, like, mm -hmm. yeah, sex robots are creepy, but. <laughs> yeah. She's the smartest one. Yeah. She knows a lot <laughs> <laughs> about how people behave. Okay. How to be there for the people. Um, there's a lot of continuity. Uh, let me just try to look 
Really quickly, obviously, his first appearance of Warren Mears, and uh, we never see from April again. Uh, so uh, she was either destroyed or pop possibly repurposed for Buffy Bod, or just you know put in a closet somewhere. Yeah. Um, or maybe she's still sitting on that bench, resting away. <laughs> swing set. It's just a statue. Yep. Um, cool new art installation. Yeah, Buffy asks Warren, "Who do you know? Who I am?" And she, she's making sure to clarify that he, I guess, essentially knew or attended the prom, where right. it was revealed that she was the Slayer, the students of mm -hmm. Sunnydale. Um, The dress Joyce wears for her date with Brian must be her date dress look. It's very similar to the one she was wearing when Buffy caught her in the kitchen kissing Ted three years earlier. Nice. <laughs> she has specific taste. Spike again shows his formidable instinctive intuition, being able to figure out that Warren built April despite having no idea who Warren is, and the Scooby's not telling him. <laughs> well, I guess she was saying Warren all the time. Yeah, but he doesn't know who Warren is. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, I don't like that faux twist by the way, where he's like upsettedly throwing all his Buffy stuff into a box and you think he's going to throw it out but he's actually taking it to a robot because there's no way, f no reason for him to performatively do that and then be like on the way to the dump and be like wait a second yeah. what if I made a robot out of it like who's he performing <laughs> yeah. for except for us as an audience for sure <clears throat> Mm-hmm. But it makes sense, uh, makes sense for his character. He's trying to upgrade from Mannequin. <laughs> According to David Fury, when he questioned the incredible technological abilities of Sunnydale residents, reanimating the dead and some assembly acquired, constructing life like robots and Ted in this episode, Whedon replied, you're just way overthinking it. Hellmouth should be able to provide us with anything we want to do. The energy that comes out of it makes mad scientists out of humans who then go ahead and create something evil. Works for me. I don't really care about that as an ex uh, <laughs> plausibility in a show yeah, about, care about that. Um, <laughs> the Apparently the final scene was not in the shooting script. It was written separately by Joss Whedon. Yeah, it makes sense. That's, that sort of uh, adds to the idea that it was a studio note. The title of this episode could have been inspired by the Kiss song, I Was Made for Loving You. Well, that's uh, <laughs> I know that song. <laughs> could have been. <laughs> nope. 
Um, the plot of the episode is somewhat similar to the 1985 horror novel Friend, in which a teenage girl is killed by her own father, only to be resurrected by her science-loving friend by having a robot chip implanted in her brain. Initially, the friend is able to control her, but she becomes vengeful when she flashes back her memories and ultimately kills her father and people who humiliated her and her friend. In 1986, Wes Craven turned the novel into a film, Deadly Friend, starring Christy Swanson, who would later go on to star as Buffy in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie. Weird. I've seen a, <laughs> I've seen a gif from that movie multiple times. So. The robot throws a basketball at someone's head and his head explodes. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds That's like a, a good movie. One. <laughs> In French, this was called Chagrin d'Amour, which means heartache. Or literally, like chagrin of love, <laughs> anger of love. In German, it was called Auf Liebe programmiert, programmed to love. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you're enjoying yeah. the podcast. If so, if you were made to love this podcast, please subscribe using your podcast listening application and give us a five-star rating review on iTunes, which you can now do in your phone. You don't have to go to your computer as long as you have uh, the Apple Podcast Program. Yep, which you do if you have an <laughs> iPhone, since they yeah. give you all those programs whether you want them or not. It's true. Joel told me a funny fact that the first program most downloaded by um, uh, iPhone users is Google Maps, even though it has Apple Maps on there to start. (laughs) Apple Maps sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. Although I think in the most recent uh, update, they finally gave you the option to uninstall natively (laughs) installed apps. That was nice. Finally, after like 10 years. (laughs) Alright, if you thought we had anything else to say about I Was Made to Love You, you were and are myth taken. Bye. Bye bye bye.